take your Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes, we are uh, finishing up chapter 2 tonight. Solomon writes um, Ecclesiastes, and there's a lot of reflection here as he looks back over things in his life that he's experienced, and of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, records them for us. God has preserved them for us to read today. And we see here in the book of Ecclesiastes, how do we live a meaningful life, living a meaningful life? How do we go about our daily business in a way that at the end of it means something? Um, we have something to hold on to, right? Because again, the key word, one of the key words in the book of Ecclesiastes is vanity or the Hebrew word hevel, which is just something that you try to grab onto and, and it's gone. And so we've kind of made our way through these, these first couple of chapters, and this idea of futility has come up time and again. And so we get here to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses, 12, uh, verses 18 through 26, and we see here the end of futility. And this is a double meaning here, the end of futility at the end of our lives, but also the end of futility, how do we find an end to futility in our lives? So let's look at what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 2, verses 18 through 26. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also was vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes... A person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink, and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat, or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom, and knowledge, and joy, but to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity, and a striving after wind. There are some things in life that you cannot know how they're going to turn out until the end of their allotted time. You can't know if the cake in the oven is going to come out as planned until the oven timer beeps and you cut into it. You can't know if that investment is going to pan out until it's had time to mature and ride out the market. You can't know if that person is who they say they are until you've grown that relationship. We cannot always know what the end of something is at the beginning. Now, theoretically, one of those things we can't know is if, is there, if, if there is any meaning in life found at the end of our lives by building an impressive legacy. Solomon has tested everything that promised him meaning, and he has found all of those things lacking. We've looked at that in the first few messages in this book. Now... At the end of chapter 2, he looks towards the end of his life and what he will leave behind, his legacy, if you will. 
And under inspiration of God, Solomon gives us a little peek into the future. He shows us the end of futility. When life is over, if we've invested in it everything we can to build a legacy under the sun, will that give us meaning? Solomon answering this question then points us to the only thing that can end this futile struggle we feel in life, and that is this. At the end of futility is found in pleasing God with our lives. These first couple of chapters, um, we've, we've continued to frame in the perspective of the end of Ecclesiastes. The end of the whole matter, Solomon says, is fear God and keep his commandments. And Solomon says, I write these things as goads and nails, things to, to remind you uh, to serve the Lord and uh, the goads that prod us into the right ways and, and nails on which we hang our, our thoughts and uh, our guidance for life, that we fear God and keep his commandments. And, and we've kept that in perspective because sometimes in chapters 1 and 2 especially, and, and it'll be that way throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, but especially here in these first couple of chapters, I mean, we kind of scratch our heads sometimes and go, man, this guy, I mean, he had no hope in life. What, what hope is there for us? And, but tonight, there's like a little bit of light there because we've already read the passage and you've seen that Solomon's going to point us to, okay, it comes back to pleasing God. That's who finds fulfillment in life. That's for whom life is not hevel. So what does that mean? We'll talk about that tonight. But what Solomon talks about first in verses 18 through 23 is the futility of legacy. Because what you find in the first couple of verses, 18 and 19, is there's an uncontrollable outcome to our lives. He says, "I, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and and who knows whether he'll be a wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. We've seen that Solomon gave himself to the pursuit of anything and everything in life that he thought might give him some meaning. He lived wisely. He enjoyed pleasure. He enjoyed wealth and work. He gave himself to the pursuit of knowledge and understanding. And it was all in an effort to escape the endless carousel of Hevel in his life that had overtaken his life under the sun. And so far, he had not found anything outside of that relationship with God that will give him lasting meaning. Sure, in the moment he found enjoyment. In the moment he found accomplishment. In the moment he even found maybe some shred of feeling of meaning. But at the end of it all, the end was the same every time. It was vanity. It was hevel. It was striving after the wind. It was useless. And so now, as Solomon looks back over everything he's done, okay, and again, the context here is is everything he's talked about in in chapters 1 and 2. He's looking back over all these things he has done. He isn't filled with accomplishment or enjoyment or meaning. Instead, he's filled with hopeless despair. He says in verse 18, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun. It's a type of hopelessness that's led him to hate his toil and labor. We have to say, I mean, Solomon's accomplished many things in his life. He's amassed incredible wealth. But the reality, a a reality settles in on him in his life. And this is the reality. He can't take any of it with him. The old saying is, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul, right? 
Now, an even older saying that comes from the mid-19th century is, shrouds have no pockets. When you die, you take nothing from this life with you. Barring the Lord's return, there is coming a day when you and I will pass from this earth. And when we do, everything we've amassed and accomplished will be left behind. And what's more than this, it won't just be left behind, Solomon says. It's going to be left to another. And that, what you see here in this passage, that is what brings Solomon so much grief and despair. Solomon may have a mind, uh, may have here in mind his son, who would inherit the throne, but this is really more of a general statement, and the question becomes this. What will the person who comes after me, in this case Solomon, do with everything that Solomon has accomplished, built, amassed, and stewarded? Will he be wise or will he be foolish? And now Solomon has a new fear. His fear is now that he will lose control of everything he has acquired because none of it is going with him. He he can't even, after he's gone, control his own legacy that he's left behind. Think about Solomon's life. Solomon lived his life in wisdom. He he applied this God-given gift of wisdom to everything he did in life, in his various endeavors. So unsurprisingly, because he's applying God's wisdom in his life, the things that Solomon set out to do, he was very successful in those things. His wealth increased, his building projects were impressive, his fame was spread abroad, people enjoyed peace, but one day Solomon would be no more. One day he would pass into eternity and he would no longer be the master of the things that he had amassed in his life. They would be given to someone else. Everything he poured his heart and soul into would be ruled by a different man. And he might appreciate it and he might not. He might waste it or he might not. He might improve it, or he might not. He he might eradicate it, or he might not. And this brought Solomon once again to this conclusion. It's vanity. It's hevel. It's it's nothing. Now, it is worth noting here, by the way, that Solomon's son, Rehoboam, would waste everything that he inherited from Solomon. Rehoboam was directly responsible for the division of the kingdom. Now, What we see then is there is no meaning in life in living purely for a legacy. Because once you're gone, you can't control it anyway. Many people have tried. Countless intricate wills have been written. Uh, This is what's going to happen to my money. And if my kid tries to do this, then they can't do that. They can do this. And various uh, or or uncountable prenups have been signed so that if one spouse dies or or gets a divorce, the other spouse can't do anything with with what was left behind. And it was all in an effort to what? To control one's legacy and the accomplishments of life, right? That even when I'm gone, I'm still in charge. But what does it achieve? Does even this give you meaning in life? Well, Solomon doesn't think so. And so in the light of the end that he will inevitably face, he, he despairs in the present that he, is with, that he is in. He says, so I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. There are hard things in life 
that we can endure if we know what the end result will be. If I'm out running errands or I'm here at the office or, you know, um, had to run to the store, you know, or whatever it may be, visiting someone, and I am just starving, right? You ever been there? But I know when I get home, there's going to be a delicious meal. Then I can probably, depending on if I go buy a Chick-fil-A or not, I can probably wait out until I get home, right? Because at the end of it, I know there's something that's worth waiting for, right? If if I know that this investment is a sound investment and it's going to pay off, I, should, I, I probably should be able to wait out the market knowing at the end of the day it's going to mature and it's, it's going to give me a return. But Solomon now looks at his entire life's work and he's seeing the end of it. And at the end of it all, if life under the sun is all that you have and you can't take it with you and you can't control what happens to it, then what happens to Solomon is unsurprising. Solomon is snapped into reality and his reaction is not only informative, it, we empathize with it. If you've worked your entire life and this life is all you have, then you're going to despair at the end. Why? Because it doesn't leave you satisfied. There's nothing there. If all this work and effort doesn't change anything, what's the point? He plunges into despair because hope has dwindled. All of a sudden, everything that gave him purpose just feeds the machine that goes round and round. He is a person who has labored with wisdom and knowledge and skill, but he will have to leave it behind to someone else who didn't put in the same effort. Here is Solomon who has spent his entire life doing great things, amassing great wealth, building wonderful buildings, and he's going to hand it over to somebody who hasn't put in the same effort. And that brings him despair. Because, I mean, what's the point? They're not going to appreciate it. We see this in our own world, right? We see this in our, in our, own, in our own lives or in things we hear about, that, that some billionaire or millionaire makes all of this money and he hands it over to some kid, right? We always call him the trust fund kid, right? And they go and destroy it all. Why? Because they didn't have to work for it. And it gives these, these super rich people ulcers, right? Because now how am I going to control all this? We, we understand that thinking this is exactly what Solomon is talking about. If this life is all you have, if this legacy that you build is everything to you, then it's not worth anything. Because you don't get to, you don't get to have a say in what happens to it. To Solomon... He says what at the end of verse 21? It's not only hevel vanity, but it's also what? Great evil. What a statement. Solomon feels wronged by what he's experiencing. What's the old saying? Life isn't fair. You put in all this effort, and if you get something good out of it, you don't get to enjoy it very long. What a depressing spiral. This is what you came for, by the way, right? Woohoo, we feel great now. But that is exactly the way life under the sun is set up to work. That's the way God designed it. You are not going to find fulfillment in the things under the sun. The things of this life aren't going to last forever. That's the point of all of this, to point you and me to the greater meaning of life, a relationship with God. But in the present, 
if we seek meaning here, we're not going to find it. We're not going to find we're not going to find that which lasts for long anyway. And you'll be left feeling much like Solomon felt here, hopeless and lost. And so that leads Solomon to question the experiences of his life in verses 22 and 23. We see his displeasure. He says, what, what has a man from all the toil of striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. So such a reality check here leaves Solomon to ponder, what's the meaning of all this? What does a man even get from all the work? There's no security. <clears throat> There's no meaning. There's no guaranteed legacy left behind. Even if you give it everything you have in life, what does it give you in return? Solomon says it gives you days full of sorrow and grief. Here is a reality of the world we live in. Okay, some of you already know this. Okay, and I'm, I'm just going to be preaching to the choir. There's younger audience in here. Okay, if you haven't figured this out, here you go. Life is hard. Do you agree with that statement? Yeah. We have to fight against the fallen world we live in. We have to compete or contend with other fallen men. And this hard work doesn't promise to bring us any lasting satisfaction. And that is disturbing to one who only lives for the here and now. When you come to the realization that I'm living for the here and now, and that's not going to give me what I want, that's a very disturbing reality check. The work that you're doing all of a sudden sours. And and Solomon says, even though our bodies may collapse into bed, exhausted from a hard day's work, our inner man has promised no rest. He says, Even in the night, his heart does not rest. Instead, we must face the horrors of the realization that this is all out of our control. And in those quiet moments, our fear plagues us. The uneasiness gnaws at our hearts, reminding us of the inevitable end and the questions we cannot answer. So at the end of the day, if this life is all you have, Futility is what's at the end of your life. When we we live in it, and one day we die in that futility, we can't even enjoy the things we want to enjoy. Again, Solomon has made made a clear case of what life under the sun is like. It is hevel. It promises so much. We experience so much. And then just like that, it's gone. Those experiences those accomplishments, the feelings, they're just, you reach out for them, you put your arms around them, and there's nothing. So Solomon then in verses 24 through 26 gives us the opposite of that, futility's antithesis. In verses 24 and 25, we see there is a God-ordained purpose to this life. He says there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Solomon has looked the world over. He's sought answers at, at every turn. He's looked for overarching purpose under the sun, and he's found nothing that would last outside of the moment of activity. So therefore, Solomon concludes this. There's nothing better to do under the sun than enjoy the moment. 
At the end of life, you can't take it with you, and you can't control what will happen to it once you're gone. So therefore, find enjoyment in what you're doing. And he gives us some perspective on how we can do just that. He says that this enjoyment comes from God. You see, God, the sovereign of everything, has set up the world to work in such a way. He has made it so that this world does not give you the return on investment you think you're going to get. God says that's the consequences of sin. If you're going to live outside a relationship with me, if you're going to continue in your sin, if you're going to do what you want to do, then you're not going to find what you think you're going to find. That's how we were created. To have, we were created to have a relationship with God, and when we don't, we feel it. He's given to man then this activity, to live life on this earth, to die, to leave it behind, buried in the sands of time. And when man is gone, okay, when you and I are gone, when generations of our family have, have lived and died, God is still there. He's eternal and unmoving. So that brings us to verse 25 then, showing us the importance of God in all of these things. He says, for apart from him, who can eat or have enjoyment? Sometimes this verse is translated, for apart from me, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? There's a change there either from the, in the manuscripts, either from a first-person perspective or a third-person perspective. But what, what's clear here is, is what, what the one who's being talked about in verse 25 is God, not Solomon. Okay? For apart from God, who can eat or drink or who, or who can eat or who can have enjoyment? As Solomon points us to God's ordaining purpose in life's activities, he continues to do do so in verse 25. Apart from God, there is no meaning in life. God is the giver of all life. God is the sustainer of all life. God is life itself. So apart from God, what does Solomon say? We can't even eat, let alone have enjoyment. We're created, created in God's image. We as humans have many independent qualities about us. We possess a a higher intellect than any other created being on this planet. We have been given the ability to work. We have created culture. We have a world at our fingertips. We go about daily life providing for ourselves and our family. We begin to think, hey, I did this, but the reality of it is without God, none of this will be possible, whether you acknowledge him or not. Without his gracious work on our behalf, wouldn't we be able, to be able to experience all of this or have the ability to do what we do? Without God, there is nothing. So without God, there is no true enjoyment of life. Even those who find only snatches of enjoyment in the midst of doing things do so because of God. Because he allows that. The only way to fulfillment... The only way away from futility is to realize where life must be centered. And that's where we end our passage tonight at verse 26. We see the God-centered fulfillment. For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. So Solomon now presents that there are two paths in life. 
There is the way of one who pleases God. The one who pleases God, he is given what? Wisdom and knowledge and joy. What is he given? In a nutshell, he's given fulfillment. His tasks on earth are not weary, monotonous, endless quests. Instead, they can be enjoyed with a God-given purpose. He, God gives them wisdom, applied knowledge of himself to the one who pleases him. And, and that wisdom, that applied knowledge, leads him to a life of joy. On the other hand, Solomon says there is a life of the sinner who does not enjoy things from God. Instead, he lives a life of endless hevel. He gathers and collects Right? He gathers, he gathers, and ultimately it slips from his fingers. There's an interesting statement here that he has given the, uh, to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. And you think, wow, I'm trying to please God. Where's, this, where's all these gifts that the sinner's going to drop off on my front door? And that's not what Solomon's talking about here. This is not a a promise that all those who follow God will enjoy wealth. It it does not mean that God's people receive all sorts of possessions and riches from those who reject him. But what does it offer us? Well, it offers us an eternal perspective. Here's the reality of eternity. At the end of it all, no one who rejects God will take anything with him, right? Right? while those who belong to God will live with God in eternity enjoying the good gifts of God. And again, you and I think of good gifts as like monetary or possessions, but the greatest gifts of God are not physical. They're not tangible. The presence of God is the greatest gift you and I can ever experience. And if you know know the Lord, the relationship with Jesus Christ, you'll be in the presence of God forever. The, the, the worst thing about an eternity in hell separated from God is not, that you, uh, not the punishment, it's the separation from God part that you will experience. In the end, God balances the scales. And those who please him will be rewarded for eternity. So the question is, what's the difference What's the difference between one who pleases God and a sinner, right? Because that seems like an important question we should answer. When Solomon says that, that here's the life that one who pleases God enjoys, and here's the life that one who is a sinner, you know, suffers, I want to be on this side. So I want to know, how do I please God? Well, the difference lies in a relationship with God. Only one who has a relationship with God can please God. And the only way to a relationship with God is through faith in God. Solomon wrote these things some 900 plus years before Jesus was born. Yet the way to please God was the same then as it is today. That is a personal trust and belief in God, recognizing that without him we have no hope for eternity. Uh, let me point you to a New Testament passage, okay? Hebrews eleven six 6 says this. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Do you want to please God? 
it begins with placing faith in him and him alone to save your soul. Do you want to live a life of fulfillment in God? Well, after salvation, we have to live out that faith in God each day with his help. It is possible to live a life of incredible joy on this earth. It is possible to enjoy the things of life. See, here's the thing. You and I don't have to go through life thinking everything is heaven, you know. Um, you know, we, we don't have to sing the song, you know. Uh, what was that song? Everything is awesome, right? Everything is heaven, right? There you go. That'll be stuck in your head the rest of the day if you know that one. We don't have to go around thinking that. You know, well, I'm doing this. It's worth, not worth anything. I'm doing this. It's not worth anything. I mean, that's, I don't know about you, but I don't want to live life that way. We don't, we don't, what, what Solomon is saying here is that it's not, not that it's wrong to take pleasure in this life. In fact, if something is not objectionably sinful, there is a proper place and a proper time to enjoy that. You enjoy it where? Within the boundaries of a right relationship with God. And I'll just tell you, I, for one, am awesome. Or or awesome. (laughs) That one's going to be on the recording. I am awesome. I, I, for one, am thankful. That's the word I was looking for. I started thinking about that song again. Okay? I'm going to make sure I have to delete that file so that doesn't get pulled out of context somewhere. Yeah, I know. I am thankful for the temporal things God has given me in my life to enjoy. From hobbies to family, from food to accomplishments, all these things are temporal, right? Anything we enjoy here, they're temporal. But these are all things we can enjoy and find some measure of fulfillment and enjoyment in if we please the Lord with our lives. Here's the thing. If you don't keep God primary in your life, you're not going to find enjoyment in this life. It's just going to feel monotonous. You'll find frustration after frustration. You'll spend your energy on futile pursuits. You'll die. You'll leave it all behind only for what you've built to be spent by someone else or lost to history. See, here's the reality. As a follower of God... I also will leave behind all of these temporal things. The house, the car, the family, the investments, it's all going to be gone. I, I mean, when, I, when I leave to go to eternity, I'm not taking it with me. The difference is, as a follower of God, doesn't mean it, that, that it's, it's perfect, but, but the reality is this, I don't have to, to struggle or care about what happens to those things. Because those temporal things weren't my everything to begin with. They're just the things God has given to me to enjoy on this life passing through. They were good things given by a good God to be enjoyed for a moment in time. But when their time passed, they were gone. And when my time passes, I'll be gone. What matters is, how have I used the things God's entrusted me with? And if I live for my things, or if I don't know God, all of it's for naught. It's a fruitless chase. It's hevel. So here's the admonition. We need to focus on that which matters most, and that is God and my relationship to Him. And then you can find meaning here 
and at the end of your life. The end of futility is found in pleasing God with our lives. The end of futility is what Solomon continues to drive towards. Fear God and keep his commandments. Meaning in this life is found in pleasing the Lord. And the only way to please God is to place your faith in him and live out that faith in his strength. Only then can you enjoy the temporal things this life has to offer properly. Listen, I said a lot tonight about legacy and those things. And and there's nothing wrong, by the way, with wanting to leave behind a good legacy for your family or for others. In fact, the scriptures speak to the wisdom of this. And they talk about the type of legacy we should leave. So please don't take this the other way. The pastor said, well, it doesn't matter how we leave it behind, you know, because it's all gone anyway. The scriptures speak about wisdom and leaving what we leave behind, whether it be for our family or others, the way we live our lives. But if you're trying, if you're tying the meaning of your life to what you amass and leave behind, you're soon going to realize you cannot derive any real meaning from this at all because you can't control what happens to that legacy once you're gone. Instead, seek the Lord. Seek a relationship with him. Pursue an active, engaged relationship with God that changes and grows you in himself. In God, you can live a meaningful life, enjoying the good gifts of this temporal world and knowing that one day in eternity, you will inherit the wonders and goodness of the kingdom of God. Father, thank you for this time we've had tonight to look at your word together. Thank you for the perspective of this life that we need. That when we reach the end, it'll all be gone. And Lord, may that, may that have bearing on how we live in this present day. May that challenge our hearts to pursue you above all else, to use the temporal things we have, even the temporalness of our own bodies, may we be given to the work of the kingdom. May we find that there is great enjoyment and pleasure in life if we are serving you with that life. If we're honest, God, there are many things in our lives that threaten that joy because we have put them in the wrong place. We have put them on a pedestal. We have given that possession, that job, that relationship that our family our own thoughts and ideas we have given that more weight than it deserves and so therefore we feel lost and we feel like everything's out of control sometimes because our priorities aren't right we ask that you would help us to be convicted of those things and to respond to that conviction living a life that pleases you and you alone. Be with us this week as we go out from here and we make these decisions. May we live in light of the truth of your word. May we be a light in the world that we are in. In your name we pray, amen.